Welcome to the Techno Babble Podcast. Enjoy. everyone and welcome back to the Techno Babble podcast. I am here with the creator of a game called Fall of Magic. It's a role-playing game of profound fantasy and it stuck out to me this guy's Ross Coleman. Am I saying that right, Ross? Ross Coleman? It's, it's Cowman. Like Cowman. Cowboy, except Cowman. <laughs> okay. Hey, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, Ross? Sure thing. Uh, so my name, uh, yeah, so I live in Olympia, Washington, which is the capital of Washington state, um, kind of equidistant between Seattle and Portland. I actually lived in Olympia, Washington for about three years. I was in the oh, army. Did? Yeah. I stayed, I was stationed in Fort Lewis, yep. but, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I moved to Olympia, uh, and man, I loved it there, dude. It was, I, I really want to go back sometime. Yeah. Well, come back anytime. Let me know. Can, I'll rally the nerds. We yeah, can <laughs> yeah, that, it'll be a lot of fun. I can't wait. Yeah. So, uh, what do I do? I am a musician and a game designer and a web developer. Mm-hmm. And I went to the Evergreen State College. Graduated. I studied mostly poetry while I was there. Uh, though I'm a bit of a liberal arts mutt, you kind of end up doing a little bit of everything when you go to Evergreen. And um, let's see, I was introduced to Dungeons and Dragons when I was eight years old. My mom bought uh, the blue book at a used bookstore and she thought it would be something that I'd be interested in. And she was correct. And uh, yeah, I just started, I was just I was making characters and playing through that little adventure in the back of the book all by myself. I used to talk to myself a lot more than I do now. <laughs> so you would just have like, instead of playing with real people, you would just interact as all the characters. Yeah, I just didn't know, you know, I, I didn't like have, I didn't know anyone else that played Dungeons and Dragons. But eventually I found uh, my friend Blake Dodson was, he was playing uh, advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And we hung out and um, I, I started playing with him. And uh, I like about the second or third time we played together, I was dungeon mastering a dungeon mastered Caverns of Chaos, which is part of the, it was part of the Into the Wild uh, module series. And I just started running it. I started playing D&D with my, my friends during lunchtime at school. And I uh, eventually you know, got together a regular gaming group. And uh, this is around the time second, AD&D 2nd second Edition was coming out. And so um, I played a lot of that. And, um, you know, by the time I, you know, high school rolled around, um, I started doing more um, just kind of making making up different things like started experimenting with making up my own systems which were all you know really really still in that D paradigm of um skill-based things and you know conflict resolution systems and kind of figure everyone's got their own idea for what they think a good conflict resolution system was and i, I was no different um just you know make it really interesting i you know my favorite thing about D and this this is still the case is dungeon mastering and the 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 kind of world building that you get to do and playing describing all the places and all the people doing all the funny voices mm-hmm. and um, it's really always a lot of fun when you get a group of people together who have who are familiar with it and not aren't so new and they can actually kind of immerse themselves and and and, totally. and be in these characters it makes it a lot more fun absolutely. 
Yeah. And then, um, so I was just, I, I stopped playing uh, as much D&D, you know, I was trying to, I was, I was, I felt that I was like looking for something like I would be playing D&D and like I, what I was really wanting to do was hang out with my friends and make up the Lord of the Rings. And that just like wasn't quite happening. You know, it was, you know, you'd, you'd get together and you might have like a really cool scene, but then you, you'd get into like a two hour long combat with some were rats. And I was kind of torn because like on one hand, I, I love the, I love tactical combat miniatures gaming. I think it's a lot of fun. Like, like turn-based kind of combat, right? Yeah, it's great. You know, I, I like doing that. I like, I really like making characters. I like leveling and figuring out your skills and how to build your character. I love doing all that stuff. Do you, now, let me ask you a quick question. Do you uh-huh. prefer that kind of stuff, the, the I guess you would call the behind-the-scenes kind of creating the characters and world-building? Or do you prefer the actual role-play and acting of D&D? Well, I, the, the thing with me in D and D is that, yeah, I definitely like when I am playing D and D, what I'm really excited about is the mechanical crunchy combat system, leveling your character kind of stuff. If I am really looking to, uh, sit down with some friends and create a story about some fantasy characters where we're really going to talk about our relationships with each other and, you know, like where, where like all those backstories and those histories that people come up with with their characters are actually going to be relevant and have a real big impact on on the game and on the on the story. I, you know, I, I usually look more to you know, like more story game style stuff like Apocalypse World or Dungeon World or s- systems where the um, mechanics are more focused around supporting that kind of character development and that kind of collaborative world building. Well, I gotta ask you a quick question. Have you ever played? Um, well, first of all, have you ever watched any of um, It Me JP's uh, role play series on Twitch? I have not. Well, he does a. Uh, it might be if you get some free time, check it out on Twitch. He totally. does a whole series of D and D games, and they're not all just basically Dungeons and Dragons. But he does. I don't know if you've heard of Shadowrun. Yep, totally. He, he does a he does a, a series on Shadowrun called Mirror Shades. Yeah, I played a lot some... of first and second edition. Oh, that's with Adam Kobolds on that, isn't it? Yeah, Adam Kobold. I actually yeah. had him on the show uh, uh, about two or three weeks ago. It was a lot of fun talking to him. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, just different games like that, that was a lot of fun. Cool. You know, the thing I really love, the so there's there's like really two things about D&D for me. One is there's the, the kind of interesting combat mechanic thing, which... It, you know, building the characters and your skills and stuff, and 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 I enjoy, I enjoy that. But honestly, my favorite thing about playing Dungeons and Dragons is dungeon mastering, and I get a little antsy when I'm in the player's seat, and because re- I've like done so much dungeon mastering, I'm like, oh wait, I have this really great idea for what this character. Oh, I know what should happen next. Like this thing should happen, and so I just wanted. So I so you know, these last few years, I've really been excited about playing and developing games where everybody gets to experience that kind of empowerment. You know, I was talking to Adam the other time, the last time he was on the show, and I can't, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here because I don't remember the direct quote, but he sure. said something to the effect of when it comes to dungeon mastering, players have a unique and clever way of getting out of trouble. Uh, would you say <laughs> that's the case? You know, it. what is it with... with so like when you're how, how players how do players get out well there's this interesting thing where when you are a player in a dungeons and dragons campaign or most traditional role playing games your narrative authority is really uh tied to 
the power, the in-game like mechanical effectiveness and impact of of that character. And so you're always one thing you're always trying to do is just try and keep your character safe. You're always asking lots of questions. You're poking things with ten foot poles. You're you know, having these huge, long, drawn-out planning sessions before you, you know, you're really trying to make sure you calculate out all those risks before you take them, and that's and that's cool, um, and that's something that I think really befits, uh, you know, a kind of a, a sort of competitive combat system like you have in combat-based game like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so, so yeah, I think you have to be very clever and you have to really be really careful and try and leverage every little fictional advantage that you can. Um, now, moving on, though, to Fall of Magic, like like we've mentioned, it's a lot like D&D, at least from a first look. That's the way I see it, and I think that's the way most people who, who stumble across it might look at it. But uh-huh. I feel like there's a lot more to it, uh, just kind of skimming the videos and reading what you've written about it. Um, what makes this game so different, at the same time so similar to Dungeons & Dragons? Sure, sure. So... Um... Well, the things that are similar, I'll start with that, are that it is a fantasy role-playing game. Uh, in this game, we each everyone makes a character, and that we are one of the reasons we play this game is because we want to figure out what happens to these characters, and we want to see how these characters grow and change. Some things that are really different are that in this game, you instead of sp- uh, that in Fall of Magic, you create your character very quickly and your character grows and develops over the course of the game kind of the same way that a novelist might introduce a character to us over the course of a novel. So at the beginning of the game, perhaps the only things I know about my character are their name and their title. Maybe my character is, uh, you know, like just... And you have a list of names you choose from and a list of titles. So maybe I'm uh, Justice, a Knight of Stormguard. Right. And at the beginning, that's all I know about my character, and it's my time to. And then each turn, I am going to create a little scene. And those beginning scenes that happen at the beginning of the game, all the the each each turn, you're going to choose a prompt uh, at the location where we're currently at. We start at Raven Hall, and the prompts that we choose are all things that urge you to either develop some little element of your character or perhaps talk about a relationship you have to another character, maybe telling us what you think about them. So for example, one of the early scenes that you can choose is the bridge. So if I chose the bridge, I'd place justice there and I might describe how we see this uh, old knight riding on his horse up to a bridge and the bridge is made of stone and there's all these faces carved into it of all the maguses that have lived in Raven Hall before. And I'm just making this stuff up off the top of my head. Right. And then the, the prompt for the bridge is your face in the river. So at some point I might describe how Justice leans down and looks into the river. And this, of course, is a just a, a narrative excuse for me to tell you what my character looks like, which is a really great thing to do when you're <laughs> narrate when you're introducing a character to somebody. You know, so what does this guy look like? You know, he's got a or maybe it's not a guy, maybe it's a woman. So maybe we take she takes off her helmet and we see that she's uh you know, got these kind of unmistakably female features, even though her face is like crisscrossed with scars from the many battles she's been in in the past. So you like to add in a lot of plot twists and, and things and turns and unexpected kind of things that, that um, for your players. It's so it's fun to well yeah well so we're all players right and so that's definitely one of the one part of the play is um, you know reversing people's expectations. Right. Um, so when you're when you're DMing, um, 
obviously, like I've done a little bit of DMing and a little bit of playing myself. Uh-huh. What finds me as a young DM, I would say very young, Greg, almost even amateur DM. Sure. Um, you know, I, I, there was a one time where I created this whole world, this whole map, and I had kind of this story, very loose kind of story based out. And my players, like, they just wanted to do everything except for follow the storyline <laughs> I wanted them to follow. Classic. How, yeah, do you, yeah. how do you get around something like that if you're a new oh, DM? It's, it's, it's so easy. It's so easy, but it's kind of hard to do in Dungeons & Dragons. Um, but other systems like Apocalypse World and Dungeon World really support it. This is the secret, um, is that it, people aren't going to care about a world that they do not have a hand in making. So if you want your players to care about the world, you need to... Uh, you, you need to let them participate in its creation. And this is really simple in a game like Fall of Magic, where literally the world doesn't exist until we start talking about it, and we each have kind of these equal turns where we get to create little bits. And, you know, you're very much taking these ideas that other people have made, and you're kind of playing ping pong with them, you're tossing this ball back and forth. And, um, you know, or like in a game like a, an Apocalypse World system game, where all what the dungeon master in that game is doing is they're asking the players lots of questions about their character, you know. So maybe somebody's character is a, a hard holder, like the, uh, you know, the, like Tina Turner in Mad Max, where the 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 leader of some big compound. Maybe they've got some broken down aircraft carrier that's in the middle of some desert somewhere where all of their their band of savages live. So as the MC, I might I might be like, so um, where do you guys so so you live in an aircraft carrier? Where do you guys uh, um, where do you guys get your food? And then, you know, the, the player might be like, well, um, yeah, there's this, there's this tribe of, uh, you know, there's this tribe out in the desert that we trade with for food. They, they have all these like two headed cattle and we buy cattle from them and then, okay, great. And now this tribe lives out in the desert. It kind of creates and, the world for itself. Exactly. And it's not foo-foo because like, the what happens is like all these details they become set in stone it becomes a part of the world and because someone had a hand of caring and because people cared about it then like later when that tribe becomes problematic or relationships become strained with that tribe and now maybe they don't want to you know you're they're also they're also just giving you bullets for your gun you know and then like later on when when those relationships become problematic uh it feels very satisfying both as a as as a player because you're like ah oh, you know you just you feel like it feels justified, you know. You don't you don't feel like you're being cheated or, or uh, you know, you you feel you feel it makes it makes sense. It feels right. Right. Um. Now, when looking, if someone were to go to your Kickstarter page, which uh, if you go to Kickstarter and type in "Fall of Magic," I'm sure uh, by Ross Cowman, uh, it's it's very easy to find. Um. Now, let's just bo- real quick before I go to the next question. As we're sure. recording this, you have 11 days to go. Uh, I told you I probably wouldn't be able to post this actual whole thing and for about another week and a half or so. Sure. But what I'll tell you what I will do because I want to help you out. I'll try to throw out a little teaser or something so that way people know they still have time to donate for awesome. you. Cool, thanks. But uh, yeah, as of right now, you got 11 days to go, but you've already reached your pledge, man. I mean, yeah, I want totally. I, w- I want to know like how how did that? Because I started a Kickstarter back in the day for my podcast because I wanted to get all this new equipment. I wanted. If I was going to produce something, I wanted it to be the best quality. Yeah, one of totally. the people who talked me, who who kind of helped me understand I didn't need that, was a one of my huge inspirations, and I mention him almost almost every podcast, and and I guess I'm going to mention him again. But Kevin Smith, <laughs> Kevin Smith said, "Man, look, you've got the technology. It's on your phone. It's on your computer. Just fucking do it." 
and and so I started doing it with the little bit of technology I have, and hopefully one day it'll grow. But at the same time, you know, I kind of wanted hopefully I could get a Kickstarter of people. Just wanted to raise a thousand bucks to get some new mics and some upgrades and sure. things like that. But I have found a hard, it didn't it didn't work, and and I'm mm-hmm. kind of curious. Um, what was your success like? How how did you end up uh, getting uh, get getting all the support? What was uh, kind of your uh, what went behind all that? Sure. Well, um, this is my fifth Kickstarter. Uh, three of them, three of the previous ones were successful, and one of them failed. And this what do you think one, the six? You know what 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 defines well, success? I guess. Uh, met their funding goal. <laughs> that's what I. That's why I define it success. Um, though you know that that's a very narrow definition. Certainly, like even the one that failed, I still felt like I learned from it, and it was a good experience, and I don't regret doing it. And uh, yeah, and this one is has made more is has gotten more attention and raised more funds than all of my other Kickstarters put together. So it's definitely been like a big, um, you know, it's, it's been a big jump for for me in terms of what I've experienced um, in terms of attention and support for a project that I've created. Um, and I, I would just I would attribute that to a few things. One is I think the um, the the aesthetics of the game and the novelty of the format are something that is that really that people connect with really instantly and this is something that I've experienced both whenever I've shared little when I've shared the game over course over the course of its development and also showing prototypes to people in Olympia people that don't even play games people that don't even like games want to play this game uh, people, you know, parents see it and they're like, oh, wow, I know someone that would really like this. I'd really like to play this with my kids. Or, um, And then people that are that are gamers are just like, you know, just everyone's really stoked about it. You know, it's, it's, um, it's a good... I think the game, the design does a really great job of uh, promoting itself. form and function. Yeah, totally. It's just, it's, it's a, it's... I mean, when, when I got into... What what I love about tabletop is, I love uh, I, I love games with really great components. I'm always, I'm like a sucker for like a really great chess. I'm I'm one of those people that just loves a really great chess set. You know I love, mm-hmm. um, you know I love uh, Dark Tower with that big crazy plastic tower. I love, um, I don't know I, I I'm a big fan of uh, Rune Wars. You know with the three dimensional plastic mountains. You know wow. I want. I really want, uh, I, and I strive like in my designs to create something where people see that being played on the table and they just get really excited about it and want to know what's going on over there. Or like when you sit down and you see this game set up, it, you're just it, it can feel really magical. That can be a really magical moment. And so this game is me trying to, one, really give that to people, just really um, have a really captivating, engrossing uh at the table experience with, with other folks and also back that up with really solid gameplay and with, uh, you know, just by really giving them the opportunity, making it really easy to get together with your friends and create a, a, a profound fantasy story, you know, in as little as a couple hours. Right. Well, you know, actually that's a good segue into the next question I was going to ask you because uh, I see here um, you've, you've got plenty of maps and really nice looking artwork and things. Uh, so I imagine, like as you were coming up with, you know, hey, I want to kind of create this own thing with my own rules. 
and you started yeah. kind of probably doodling out maps and showing them to your friends, and they were all like, hey, mm-hmm. cool, I like that. Uh, and that kind of, I guess, inspired you to keep going. Um, but now, like, you've, you've got things that are, like, professionally quality made. Do you design this stuff yourself, or, or do you have mm-hmm. someone do it? And uh, uh, is there a lot of cost involved, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, I don't mind at all. So the this is the second edition of the game. The first edition was produced as uh, just a one-page front-and-back design as part of a, a game periodical called Octo. And that version was all made using clip art that I found for free online. And you know, I just made it in Photoshop. Um, and then for this edition, I commissioned uh, Magic the Gathering and fantasy sci-fi artist Doug Keith to do all the artwork. And we did a work trade for for that, though I'm going to be um, I might well either continue to do some work trade or I might be paying him for the other illustrations. Um, but yeah, so some some folks sometimes uh, for some of the development work for these stretch goals, um, I'm, I'm paying the artists, and for some of them we're doing work trade. So it just kind of depends on my individual arrangement with the artists. Um, yeah, but like the and then like you know making the coins and getting everything produced, it's 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 pretty expensive. It's, it's definitely um, about, you know, you know, about like, yeah, I mean, the, like the, the unit cost on the games is, you know, it's like 20 to $30, depending on the, depending on the scale. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not quite able to do that thing you're supposed to do, which is you're supposed to quadruple it for, for retail. But I thought for, for this Kickstarter, I want it to be, since I don't have to go through a middle person, I thought that. You know, I really want to bring the price down as low as I possibly could. Right, that makes sense. Um, and so let me ask you, what? Uh, okay, you talked a little bit about it, about how you mm-hmm. enjoyed playing these games and and wanted to make your own. But a lot of times, even with my podcast or with people doing whatever they're doing, creating games, writing books, uh, writing stories, whatever, um, there's there's a wall that I think people come to in their head. There's like a mental block where it's like, what if someone doesn't like this, or what if I don't have the money, or Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Whatever reason, they they stop themselves from from doing it. Um, what advice do you have for those people, and uh, and how did you overcome that 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 block of you know this will never work? Sure. Yeah. Um, so my advice to people that are interested in designing games is to practice finishing games. I think that's the hardest thing to do, and um, and because like really that that first you know half to three quarters of the work is so exciting because you see all the possibilities of what the game could be. And then as you start really like nailing it down, you know, you're, 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 um, you know, you're, you're realizing what it actually is. And it can be really tough to just, just really nail down what kind of experience you're going for. So one thing that I would advise people to do is start small, just design small games, design a game that fits on one piece of paper, look at other people's small games and realize that you know some of the one thing that I like about indie design is that uh, the a lot of the games are designed in in such a way where you know the the games are self-contained. There's only one book. There's there's only one Apocalypse World book. You know you, you don't have to buy like any player's handbooks. There's no monsters manual. You have to get you know there's only one Fiasco book. It's a hundred pages long. You know there's no expansions for it. And these des- games are designed to be self-contained. Um, there's not this like kind of marketing pressure to sort of get people to continue buying into the system. So, uh, yeah, I, I just really recommend finish. Just just do it. Just uh, finish games. Look at other designs. 
uh, meet some game designers, ask them how they do their thing, go to game conventions. Did you ever uh, did you ever feel like this project was going to fail, or is like you spent all this time for nothing and nobody was going to pick it up and it was just going to be a waste of time? Or did uh, you always... No. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I felt like oh, well, you know, I, I mean, this isn't my the well, I feel Fall of Magic for me felt like I always knew. I mean, I knew after I made it and I played it, the and I did the first play test that it was going to have an audience and I didn't know how big the audience was going to be, but I could tell it was going to have an audience. And that's just part of it was because it's my second iteration of this, uh, this general rule system. Uh, I, did, I did a game a couple of years ago called life on Mars, which is a kind of near, it's kind of a hard science fiction uh, game about being an astronaut on the first manned mission to Mars. And that game was, um, and people really enjoyed playing that game. And, this game, um, I think, just kind of takes that system, which I already had and I knew people liked, and took it a little further. But, you know, I don't know. I guess, like, my biggest concern, I think, is I knew that people that were already into indie games, like Fiasco and Apocalypse World, uh, were going to really get Fall of Magic and really enjoy it. I, What I was more concerned about were that people that were mostly experienced with traditional games where if they were going to be able to get into something you know that didn't have a dungeon master and like a pre-planned adventure um, but so far the people have been really excited about it this has been an introduction for a lot of folks into gmless play and into no prep uh, like a no prep role-playing game and it's know, it's nice you know you don't you, sometimes it's just really nice to have something that you can sit down and play with people with no prep i think it fills a really nice uh, social niche in people's gaming lives i i think that's a very good point because when you when when i think when most people like the common people the moogles whatever you want to call them muggles I don't know, <laughs> um sure. when, when the common people think about dungeons and dragons you think about things like you see on tv like the big bang theory for example and sure. i love the big bang theory but you've seen um you know they, they don't you know that's not exactly what dungeons and dragons is and people feel like, oh, you gotta yeah. have all these pieces, and you gotta, uh, you know, do yeah. all this time, you know, with your storylines and, and creating your characters, and it can be overwhelming. And then not only that, you have to find a group of people who are willing to sit down at, at yep. a certain time of week and do it. And that becomes that's I I think that's a lot of the reason people don't don't continue it. Um, but with this game, it feels like uh, it's it's kind of a, a one shot. Am I right? It's something you can sit down and play pretty quickly. You can play it in as little as two hours. Uh, you can, and you can, you can also play it in multiple sessions. Um, I've played, you know, generally it takes about like the game has a mechanical ending that happens, and you can it can be reached if you're super fat. If you play really quickly, um, you can get through the you can reach the mechanical end of the game in a couple hours. Um, you know, you're supposed to, you're tra we're traveling to Umbra where magic was born, and that takes at least a couple hours. And but it can, you know, could definitely be the journey can definitely be spread out over the course of two or three sessions. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that's and... it. So definitely short form. It's not a long form game. It is is like one one to three sessions tops. One to three. Well, you know, like I, I got to say though, this game has been highly reviewed. I mean, Escapist Magazine has has reviewed it. Board Gamers Anonymous has has viewed it. Uh, guys, if you don't believe me, go check out the Kickstarter because, um, I mean, I don't just sit down and, and, and find random people to talk about. Uh, if a game truly or if an artist truly inspires me, then I feel like they're going to inspire other people. And that's one of the reasons I like to talk about them. I like to get to know them because there's people like me and I know other people who have ideas 
and um, and, and just don't don't capitalize on them or, or are scared to or don't know how. Sure. And talk, yeah. Talking to people like you guys, uh, it, it kind of helps gives me motivation and it's like you know what if he can do it, you know I can do it. Maybe I can't do it yeah. as good as him, but um, well you can do it. You know I can't do it as good as you either. I think that everybody has these. You know, everybody's everybody's got a game in them that they are the only person that can make that game. I think it's important to remember that. You know, this is this is the game that I can make, and I just with my personal life experiences and gaming experiences, you know, this is something I was able to to share with people. And I think everybody's got some. You know, everybody definitely has something unique to share. I think so. I think so. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, what do you think? Um... So aside from it being different, tell me more about like this. I, I, I'm curious. I don't want you to give any spoilers or anything. There's no. But, this would be possible for me to spoil anything. <laughs> well, with, with one of your taglines is "Magic is dying," and the uh, forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, and the Magus is dying with it. We travel together to the realm of Umbra, where magic was born. Um, mm-hmm. Can you can you explain a little bit about about that and and what what the people are doing through this quest? Sure, absolutely. So one of the design principles of this game is that it gives you prompts, but leaves it to you to define exactly what those prompts mean. So just like in the example earlier, I said that my character was, I decided that my character was Justice, the Knight of Stormguard. It was up to me to decide, you know, who that person was. What does it mean to be a knight? Um, what is Stormguard? You know, those are all things that I, that we get to explore over the course of that I'm going to define over the course of playing. Likewise, um, so we each have our own character, and the Magus is a character which is shared by all of us. And over the course of play, we're going to discover who this Magus is and what it actually means that magic is dying and that they're dying. So the uh, so as you play the game, on your turn you are going to choose one of the scenes at the Magus's current location, and the Magus starts on Raven Hall. And then after you, you place your character on a scene, and then you're going to describe that scene to us from the perspective, perspective of your character, and other people are allowed to chime in. You know, Maybe we play out a little conversation between two characters. Maybe you just narrate a little short scene on your own. A scene could be just a minute or two of you describing something. A scene could be a five- or ten-minute you know, kind of involved uh, scene involving like two or more characters and then before the end of your turn you have to involve the story prompt which is what's listed underneath the the scene title like your face in the river or the last time you saw real magic or maybe um, there's some some of the prompts ask you to write down something on another person's character card so you might have to describe why you think another character is legendary or wise or beautiful and then uh, so we go around taking turns setting scenes and then um when it comes back to you, if your character is already on the location, you can choose instead to move the Magus and advance them down the road to the next location. And when you do that, we all remove our characters from the map, and you take a turn as the Magus, and the Magus has their own special scenes and prompts that they describe. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, the the Magus's scenes are all about talking about the landscape as we travel or the hospitality we receive at these different places. So that's, that's one of the things that I really like, uh, you know, about fantasy stories like the hobbit and just kind of how i feel about traveling in general i think that's um, a big thing that you experience if you've ever gone on a road trip your trip's really shaped by you know the 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 host that you have in these different cities you go to or you're just being in the car and watching the the scenery go by or being in the plane and watching the landscape go by so this is supposed to evoke the kind of fantasy 
J.R. Tolkien kind of traveling, you know, version of that. And, um, you know, and as we continue the, the scroll and rolls and there's different forking paths that you can choose and different places that we go to. And eventually we do, we, we, you cross the ocean and you go to the land of Umbra where magic was born. And the, as the, um, the, as we play the game, the, the kinds of locations and the prompts kind of escalate and they drive us towards really exploring more about what these characters are doing and how they relate to each other and how they change and, and perils they face and, and, uh, and, 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 uh, you know, and to resolve, and then we eventually like resolve, you know, what, uh, what happens at the end. Yeah, and uh, by the way, this is a game, like I just want to mention, this is a game, <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, but uh-huh. from what I'm understanding, this is a game for uh, for all ages, right? Like kids yeah. are, are playing this game, adults, you don't yeah. have to be, it's not a uh, like a PG-13 kind of game, right? Well, the, there's nothing that the game, the game can definitely prompt uh, R-rated you know, content when people play. I mean, it, but it's coming from you, the mm-hmm. The and like I, I've played like for instance um, one of the prompts in a uh, actually that you'll see this in the um, the actual play that I did with kids I played with a couple nine year olds the game's for ages eight and up you probably need at least like a third grade reading level uh, in order to play and um, one of the prompts in the Hall of the Woods is um, is the Circle of Ancients and the is the scene and the prompt is a disturbing ritual. Well, if you or I could probably think of a really disturbing ritual and it would not be appropriate for kids. Right. But one of them, one of the one of the the girls I was playing with chose that and they're they're like a disturbing ritual and they look at each other and they're like, oh, you know, they they're like, "Oh my god, what is this going to be?" and like the it ended up being that uh, the rangers all gather us together and and tell us that we have to take turns jumping over the campfire, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was it, you know. So in the mind um, of an eight-year-old, yeah. Yeah, and that, that was very disturbing. It was really scary for them, and um. that's that's great. And I think that the um, I think Fall of Magic really succeeds in being uh, intergenerational media, in that uh, it's you can play with kids, and you're actually going to have a really good experience. You're going to have a really good time. It's not the kind of thing where you're you're just you know like we, we've got some really great intergenerational media, like stuff that adults and kids both really enjoy like adventure time, you know, my little pony friendship is magic, you know, and like this right. is kind of like a game that you can sit and play with your kids and you're going to have a good time and they're going to have a good time. So let me ask you this. Uh, is this a game that you've solo created on your own? I mean, obviously you've had help with the artwork and stuff. Totally. Do you have a, uh, do you have any other team members that work on this with you or would you consider yourself the solo developer? Well, definitely. Uh, I'm much indebted to the, um, to, to the Olympia game design community. There's a lot of other designers that are all, um, actually 12 of them are going to be participating in the first stretch goal, which is the, uh, the lost islands where we're going to create a deck of, of 12 additional locations for, to, to that come into play when you're crossing the sightless sea in the game. Uh, yeah, we do a lot of play testing locally and I've benefited from other people's feedback, both on life on Mars and on this game. And, um, yeah, so much indebted to that. And then, you know, the the Northwest, you know, the, in Seattle and Portland both have really great indie game design communities. And uh, I've definitely learned a lot and gotten a lot of great feedback from them as well. So, you know, I'm I'm the I'm the designer of Fall of Magic and this it didn't the, the game didn't come out of a vacuum. It, it came out of a, a, a community and a culture of design and play. 
Well, that's uh, yeah. I think that's important um, to have people to to support you and what you're doing and to back you up and to give you that reassurance to what you're doing is a good idea. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like you mentioned, the Kickstarter re- rewards. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, if people are able to pledge uh, what what sure. kind of rewards they can get? Sure. Well, if you pledge a dollar or more, you can download the digital preview right now and print it up and play it with your friends. And I highly recommend that you do that because, one, because it's a great game, and also, two, because it's not for everybody. And I want to make sure that people understand what it is, you know, and that they're really excited when they get that scroll, like, in their in their mailbox. Um, so, yeah, and then for $15, you get, uh, you also get a digital portfolio of all the game's art, and you're going to get the final version of the game, uh, including all the stretch rewards, but, you know, digitally. Um, and then for $65 uh, plus shipping, you get the scroll edition, which is going to be the beautiful, it's this five foot long silk screen scroll with, uh, that's, that's handmade and comes in, uh, you know, in a, a regular like board game box with the instructions and some custom coins and a die. So everything that you need to play the game. Um, and then the high, the high, uh, and you can get a couple scrolls and save on shipping. And then the highest reward level is, um, you, you get all those things, and then in addition, you get one of the original pieces of artwork by Doug Keith and one of the prototype scrolls, which we've had produced for the playtesting of the game, And you, which is kind of cool because you don't have to wait till October like everybody else. You'll actually get a, a scroll shipped to you uh, at the end of this Kickstarter. Yeah, that sounds a lot like that's that's pretty. I love Kickstarter for those reasons because it gives incentives and people are getting a little bit more, um, you know, for supporting the game and helping keeping it going. Yeah, and totally. I, I always encourage that. Um, hey, let me ask you though. Uh, okay, obviously the the the, the, the cliche answer would be Fall of Magic, but <laughs> aside from Fall of Magic, uh, what's your favorite tabletop game to play? Oh man, there's a there's a bunch. Um, I am a huge Apocalypse World fanboy. I think that Vincent Baker is a genius and completely changed the way that myself and many other game designers thought about game design and what was possible. I think Apocalypse World is an incredible execution of uh, an incredible um, utilization of, of mechanics to evoke a particular feel and style and at the table play experience. Uh, Yeah. I love that game. I think everyone should play it. Yeah, I haven't. I, that would say that's actually a game I haven't played, but um, I'll look into it because that sounds fun. I always enjoy finding new tabletop games. It's, my problem is just finding people to play them with. Totally. But when you when you have the world of Twitch and and online communities and things like YouTube and Reddit, um, it becomes a lot easier to find people to play uh, play games with. Um, uh, so uh, getting back to the game though, uh, so how do people like if they can't make this pledge right if the sure. if the time runs out. Um, how, how do they get the game? You know, what's it going to cost them? Do you ship overseas? All that kind of good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, afterwards, you will be able to order the game online either at heartofthedunicorn.com, which is my website, or storygamesolympia.com, which is our local store. Uh, and it's going to cost $75. It's going to be the retail price. So the price is going up $10 after the Kickstarter just uh, just because it's going to need to. And um, shipping overseas, uh, yeah, definitely ship overseas. It's pretty expensive, so you can save a little bit about on that by doubling up and ordering a couple copies. 
Uh, I think you end up saving about 30 or 40% on shipping by doing that. Um, yeah, and I'm looking, yeah, I've distributed my games in the past through Indie Press Revolution, so it might be on IPR, though, um, you know, the, the margins of my game are, are, of this particular game are such that I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that and still offer it at a, at a price I'm going to be comfortable with. So we'll, we'll see about that. But yeah. Yeah. Order, you can order it for me online and there'll be a, there'll be a link to it on the Kickstarter after the Kickstarter finishes. Well, Ross, we're starting to run out of time here, and I could talk to you all night, but I, I got a couple more questions here. Cool, yeah, shoot. And then I'll let you give some shout-outs and all that good jazz. Cool. Um, you mentioned earlier when we first started, you were you were a musician, or you or you you you're a music hobbyist. Is that correct? Uh, I'm a musician. I'd call myself a professional. I've definitely been paid to play music, so I consider myself a professional musician. I am in a couple bands. Um, one is called June Madrona, and it's a acoustic kind of Cascadian folk band, and it's released about seven albums and played hundreds of shows throughout the United States and Europe. I've toured Europe three times. The other band is called Fall of Electricity, and it's a two-piece uh, math rock band. It's really loud, a lot of fun. <laughs> That's uh, myself and Andrew Dorsett, and uh, it's, it's been a side project band for the two of us. So we, we've done some touring and we've put out a couple albums, but um, we're, we're both in other projects that have done a lot more touring. Oh, well, that's really cool. I wanted to mention that because I myself am a musician. Now, oh, yeah. uh, definitely not in any any touring bands, but I play locally with some bands here. Cool. Uh, I was a music major in college. I play trombone, guitar, piano, whatever. I, I conduct and, and arrange for a community band. So I always try to stay involved in music, and I always like that's talking great. to people about music. But um, So, yeah, that's something cool we have in common. Maybe we can yeah. talk about it a little bit later. Yeah, totally. But, Right now, though, I guess we need to wrap up. So if you want to go ahead and give any shout-outs, throw out your Twitter, your website, all that good stuff, and thank anybody, that's the floor is yours right now, my man. Oh, cool. Sure. So, um, yeah, I, if you are interested in all in uh, this game, if you want to try it out, you should check it out on Kickstarter. And uh, you just go to Kickstarter and search Fall of Magic. And if you pledge a dollar or more, you can download the PDF right now and play it. Um, if you're hearing this after the Kickstarter, just go to storygamesolympia.com and you will be able to uh, order. Your, you can pre-order a copy there, and uh, or you know, or order the, the download. Um, yeah, and yeah, for sure, definitely check out. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm also. Um, I'd also like to give a shout out to Jason Morningstar, who's been a big uh, the author of Fiasco, who's been a big inspiration and supporter of this project um as well as rachel es walton who we're hopefully going to be designing some stuff for fall magic as well together and uh, yeah the rest of the story games olympia crew those, those are my shout outs well hey man ross thank you so much for coming on it was a, it was a lot of fun talking to you and uh, i wish you the best of luck with this game and i hopefully looking forward to being able to play it myself oh yeah andrew thank you no problem well, until next time, everyone, thanks for listening to the Techno Babble podcast. And just remember, like I always say, do the shit that makes you happy. It's <laughs> good advice. Hey, Techno Babylonians, don't turn off the podcast just yet. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our other content, please head over to patreon.com forward slash Techno Babble podcast. Patreon is a site that allows fans to become patrons of their favorite artists and content creators. When you become a patron, you agree to give an artist a monthly tip on an amount you set. 
In exchange for your support, there are rewards based on the amount you pledge. For example, $25, and you get to choose a topic for the show. That's it, an entire podcast devoted to the shit you want to hear about. For $50, you can be on the podcast and we'll chat about fun shit together. If you want an ad spot on the podcast, you want to plug your your, uh, project, that's available too. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash technobabblepodcast and share the love. If you can't support us on Patreon, there are plenty of other ways to help us out. You can find the Technobabble Podcast on iTunes and give us a review there. Or reach out to us on Twitter, at the Technobabble, and tell us what you think of the show. At any rate, I'm Kirk. This is the Technobabble Podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. This concludes the Technobabble Podcast. If you would like to leave feedback, please send us an email to thetechnobabblepodcast at gmail.com. Or feel free to reach out to us via Twitter at the Techno Babble. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Mm-hmm.